You know, sometimes when things go not like you planned, it is productive to remember things could always be worse, right? Um, dear friend of mine who pastors in Mississippi uh, let us know Friday night, tornado came through from a mile from his house, went right through their church. So they're not dealing with electricity issues. They're dealing with how they're going to get this building built back up and what they're going to do next week. It's another blessing that we have these technical issues that we mentioned and our power not working right, that it's today and not next Sunday on Easter Sunday. Another thing that I'm thankful for is um, that Jesus is the center of it all, right? Because of our beautiful screens and the tech and the sound and our worship team, if that was the center, then this would kind of be a waste, right? I'm also thankful that God in his perfect wisdom, he, he had called us to make this Sunday Communion Sunday. And the cent- we, don't need, we don't need the electricity work for to do communion. We do need you to focus, right? So there's going to be distractions in the room with the mic going in and out and the, the air, the stuff will scare you when it booms on, right? We've, we've, uh, we've disconnected power to the air conditioning vent and it still keeps coming on. Like, so sometimes, you know, it's like, it's like Jesus. No, you can't unplug Jesus, right? So when that, when that comes on, just remember Jesus is here uh, with us and we're going to take communion together. There's one of these. You don't need it quite yet, but under your chair, when we get to that, it's going to be a powerful morning of celebrating together. I want to start with a game. It seems appropriate. Sometimes you just need a game to get going. So simple game. I'm going to read the lyrics, the first line of a song, and you're going to tell me who, what song it is and who sang it. Easy enough, right? She was more like a beauty queen from a movie scene. I said, don't mind, but what do you mean? Nice and loud if you know it. And then, well, you were in first service. You guys you can't pretend. All right, yeah, that is Billie Jean, a song by Michael Jackson. Let's make it a little harder now. Hold me back. Gravity's holding me back. I want you to hold out the palm of your hand. Anybody know that? Young people? No? That, supposedly, is Harry Styles, a song called As It Was. Um, and I'm fine that you don't know that. It doesn't bother me at all. It doesn't bother me at all. Um, next, now put your hands up, up in the club. We just broke up. I'm doing my own little thing. There you go, Beyonce. I was saying, all the single ladies. I have climbed, next, I have climbed highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you. Yeah, I love you too. Um, still haven't found what I'm looking for by the band, you too. That is correct. Last one. I've been moving calm. Don't start no trouble with me. Trying to keep it peaceful is a struggle for me. Don't pull up at 6 a.m. to cuddle with me. That's Drake. Who's, what's the name of the song? That's God's Plan. All right. So y'all did all right. Y'all did all right. Here's why we're doing that. It'll all make sense later. If I give you the first line of a song, you start, you get to the, the first line is connected with everything else, right? That's going to really matter in this communion Sunday as we walk through. Um, we're just going to dwell on Jesus today. That's who we are as a gospel center, forever focused, multi-ethnic movement of God. We, we can't do enough of just dwelling on Jesus and the gospel. Like we say, I, we don't know what the question is here. We just know the answer is the gospel. So we're, we're, we're our lives and our church is built on the gospel, and the gospel is this Jesus and the incredible news of our rescue and adoption, what he did. And so we're going to dwell specifically on what he did in this last few hours of his life um, this morning. And I want you to go there with me uh, mentally, despite distractions. 
Um, what's crazy to me is that Jesus knew all along. His whole life, he knew his mission, right? He said some awesome things, did some great teaching, was full of love, awesome miracles, but that wasn't his purpose. His purpose was to die. That's why he came. So we're going to pick up. We've been reading as a church. Anybody been reading this in this reading plan? Little bookmarks? Good, good, good. I was so worried it was just me. It's really... It's been really good for my soul just to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's account. If you haven't done that, it's not too late. I think it'd be a real win for some of you to catch up. You can go on our website and you can get on the bookmark and it's like 20 verses a day. If you really powered through this week, you could catch up and, and we'll finish it this Easter Sunday. We'd love for you to be with us. Just get your mind on Jesus and who he was. One thing that stuck out to me was um, with all that is about to happen to Jesus, like I have no idea what that'd be like to know I'm about to be crucified on a cross and die that horrible death. Uh, this verse in Luke 22 says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, and you guys can see that this service, which is beautiful, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. Jesus is eagerly desiring to eat a Passover meal. Like, how would you be excited to eat a meal when you know what's about to happen to you? It was a really big deal, right? So Jewish... Um, this is probably the biggest Jewish holiday ever. 1,400 years before Jesus, this event happened. So they annually celebrated the event. The event was called the Passover. Uh, the Jewish people had been exiled and enslaved um, by Egypt and by a leader named Pharaoh. Um, and they were enslaved for hundreds of years. And they cried out to God. And God heard those cries. And he sent to them uh, Moses and Moses' brother Aaron to free God's people who were chosen and set apart by God, and now they were living as slaves in Egypt. So they went to Pharaoh and said, God, these are God's people. You got to let them go. And like leaders throughout history, modern, recent, and way back in ancient, when you have a workforce that you don't have to pay and that builds up the country's economy, it's very difficult to let that go, right? So Pharaoh was like, no, I'm not letting your people go. So then God sent these um, plagues, horrible plagues, all the water turned into blood one day. All the, the locusts were everywhere. Frogs were everywhere, like you name it. All these plagues, and each plague kind of took it up a notch until the 10th and final plague, the, the worst plague by far. Um, the firstborn in every house. So if you're the firstborn, you died. The firstborn in every Egyptian house died. Right? That was the 10th plague. Before that happened, God told um, Moses, tell all my people this. I'm going to send a destroying angel to take out every firstborn. I want you to take a lamb, a perfect, unblemished, um, not a lamb that nobody wants, but it needs to be a, a, a lamb without defect. And I want you to kill the lamb, sacrifice the lamb, and then um, eat the lamb, but take some blood from the lamb and put it on the doorpost of your house. Right? And when the angel comes by, if you have blood of the lamb on your post, that angel will pass over your house and no one will die. So sure enough, that's exactly what happened. None of the Jewish people lost anybody, but all the Egyptian homes, the first, including Pharaoh's, the firstborn died, right? So it was, a, it was a horrible night and there was weeping and wailing and grief unimaginable. And Pharaoh's like, okay, get them out of here. They're, you know, we're all gonna die if we don't let these people go. Then he changed his mind and tried to chase them down and the Red Sea and all that. So God freed his people from slavery. He rescued them. And then he started this annual holiday, like bigger than Christmas, bigger than Easter. Every year they would do, eat certain things and have certain reminders of what happened that night and how God took them to the promised land and rescued and freed them from slavery. So it was a celebration. We used to be, my ancestors were enslaved. 
now we're free because God did this amazing thing and, and we were passed over. Nobody in our house died. Um, and they would have a meal to celebrate all this. So Jesus is getting ready to go through unspeakable awfulness. And yet, there he is. And yet, he, and yet he's excited and eager to eat this Passover meal. So he tells the guys, hey, go prepare this room. It'll be just like I tell you. I'll get all the stuff. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I want to have this. So he gets there. And I can't uh, imagine the disappointment because he gets there and guess what his disciples are doing? They're arguing. Guess what they're arguing about? Who's the greatest? Who's the man? All right. And Jesus is like, oh, we've been through this because they kept having the same argument. See, they thought that he was in Jerusalem and we, Palm Sunday is today. So people had worshiped him. He was coming in like a king. And he thought that he was, they thought he was going to become king of Jerusalem, that he was going to overthrow the Roman government again and rescue them from that oppression and they thought, hey, if he's going to be, if we're going to get a new president, then he probably needs a vice president. It's got to be me, right? Peter's thinking it's him, James. All they're arguing about who the greatest is. And Jesus is like, three years we've been together and you're still. And he reinforced this principle that still exists in Jesus' kingdom today in his church. If you want to be great, then you serve. The path to greatness, according to Jesus, is serving people. So Jesus demonstrated that. He called all the disciples over one by one and washed their feet, right? These nasty, gross Jewish feet, right? And I don't, I don't say that like anything nasty about Jewish people. I'm not going Kanye on you. I'm just saying they were nasty, not because they were Jewish. They were nasty because they wore sandals and they walked on nasty roads. So feet back then were dirtier than what we think of. And he just one by one washed their feet. Like this is the son of God and he's washing their feet. Peter's like, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus says, if if I don't wash your feet, then you're not part of me. And then Peter said, well, then wash everything, right? So, um, so he goes to this incredibly humble act. To, and then from there, they go to this meal celebrating for 1,400 years how God rescued and freed his people from slavery. And Jesus was excited about this moment. And then he institutes, right? We don't celebrate the Passover anymore as God's people. We, we celebrate a different kind of meal. That's why we like to do it in homes at Relentless Church because you can really sit and have the fellowship and the table feel that they had. He instituted what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. So this is a special Sunday when we get to do this together. Um, there's, there's communion over here on this table every week. Some people take it before, after, and during worship. It's up to you. Um, but we're going to do it together um, today in memory of Jesus, because here's how he said it. Luke, Luke 22, 17. He took a cup. Jesus did. When he'd given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Now, when they heard that, they didn't get what we get because he hadn't. You imagine saying, this is my bread and my body that I'm going to give for you, knowing he's about to go to the cross and the blood that he's about to shed for you, and they didn't really fully understand like we do what he was talking about, right? And we know how they did it because it says, um, divided among yourselves. So some churches, because of that verse, divided among yourselves, they still have one like big old thing. You ever been to the church where you just pass it around, everybody sips and backwash and all that? Um, COVID kind of changed how we do communion a little bit um, around here at least. Um, so Jesus instituted that, right? The, the night before, he's getting ready to be arrested in like hours, and he, and he invented this thing. If you know church history, there's been some ugly periods in church history. There's been corruption and scandal. 
There's been all kinds of things through 2,000 years, and yet baptism that we talked about last week will experience next week, and communion, they have stood the test of time. We still take these bread and, and this juice to signify the body and blood of Jesus. It's amazing that that has transcended generations and cultures and languages and years and, and all those things. Paul said it this way in Corinthians. He said, I receive from the Lord what I've delivered to you. It's a passing down generation. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All right, so under your chair, if you want to grab these, um, if you peel off the top, there's a little wafer that is, I guess, sort of bread. Um, it signifies bread for us. Um, the reason we do juice, I've told you all this before, um, we're just a church that God has blessed and that we have many stories among you and you don't know them. we don't point them out they don't wear a sticker we have many stories among you of people that are recovering from addiction all kinds of different addictions but specifically substance and and alcohol so for that reason we choose not to uh, use wine for our communion just to not be a an issue for somebody that's in recovery um you know he said uh, both paul and jesus we're going to do this in remembrance of him and it's a new covenant in his blood. It's a new covenant. So we're not under the old covenant. Remember the old covenant? We did a whole series called Behind the Curtain. You couldn't get to God. Only the high priest could go in the special room, the Holy of Holies, in the presence of God. Normal people couldn't. And we sang it in the song. When Jesus died, the curtain in the temple tore from top to bottom, miraculously, signifying now the curtain is removed. Now there's a new covenant in the blood of Jesus where you don't have to be a priest. You don't have to be anybody special to come into the presence of God. And like the verse says, we're doing a couple of things. As often as you eat and drink, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're reaching into the past and to the future at the same time. We're reaching 2,000 years back in history when Jesus instituted communion and said forever, I want my people to do what we're about to do to remember what I did for them and why I did it for them. Remember the gospel. So we're reaching back. At the same time, we're proclaiming that Jesus died and rose until he comes again. If he was good enough to come through on the cross and resurrection, he'll also be good enough to return for his church like he promised he would. This world will end. He's coming. So we're proclaiming both the past and the future at the same time. So let's now, just in your own way, in your own mind, let's remember the body of Jesus, the cross, the destruction of his body for us as we take this together. It had to be the blood of Jesus. It couldn't be the blood of a normal man. We'll talk about that later. But it is the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And he wants us to, he knows that we taste. He knows our senses. He created us. He wants us to taste this juice representing the blood that was shed for us. We do this now in remembrance of the sacrifice of Jesus. Let's take together. You know, you may not know the people on your row with you. If you don't, maybe you get to know them before the end of the day. But there's a supernatural miracle when we take communion together. There's a bonding that happens that I can't explain. It's miraculous as we participate together in this remembrance. You know what they did after they took the very first communion? They're getting ready to walk to what's called the Garden of Gethsemane, which we'll get to. But you know what they did before they went? They sung a song. 
We don't know the song. I wish we did. Right? What do you sing after you take the very first communion ever? Right? And there was no power. There was no amps. There was no speakers. It was acapella. It was Jesus and his inner circle singing a praise song to God. So we thought this morning we would do the same. We would sing together to God after we take communion. Remember, because some of you, there's two types of people in every church. Those that sing pretty and those like me, right? That don't sing so pretty. It doesn't come out sounding all nice, right? And God doesn't care. He's not, I'm not singing so I sound pretty. I'm singing to somebody, right? He wants us to give something in our worship. He loves music. He's a creative, artistic God. It's meaningful. Jesus is about to have the worst 24 hours of his existence. And he says, hey, let's sing. They sang together, right? He's an artistic, creative God. He's, he invented music, and he loves it when his people sing. He inhabits the praises of his people. So this is an opportunity for you not to sing pretty, but to sing from your heart to God if you believe the words of the song, because we're going to declare the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to declare that he won the victory, like what he accomplished on the cross matters in our lives, in our deaths in our eternities, in our issues, in our problems, in our everything. So it's an opportunity for you. Would you stand and let's sing together. So from there, they, they instituted, he instituted the Lord's Supper, as we call it, that we just did. They sang a song and then they walked down to the garden and Jesus took a few of his disciples and asked them to pray and they didn't, they kept falling asleep. Um, and we get this... Um, unbelievably raw look at Jesus and his emotional state. I've preached this wrong before. I've said that he asked God out of the cross. He really didn't ask. If you look at the wording, he says, Father, take this cup from me, meaning take it away. Take my mission away. Not my mission, but the cross part of it. And we'll talk specifically about what he's talking about. And God does not release him from the mission. We don't get the actual uh, you know, conversation. We just know God must not say, yeah, well, there's another way because there's nothing uh, except Jesus coming back a second time and saying the same thing, take this cup from me. And then a third time, which tells us a lot about Jesus and how we can, as it says, that we can now approach God with confidence. We approach the throne of grace with confidence. That's the new covenant. We, we can approach God with confidence. And Jesus asked God for something or told God, take this from me. And when God did not release him, he came back two more times with the exact same thing. God does honor persistence in prayer, right? Sometimes it's just, I'm, I'm going to keep coming with this, and you're not releasing me, which I'm going to trust you. And at the end of the day, it was Jesus saying, not my will be done, but yours. So even though, even though you're not doing what I'm asking you to do, but he's basically saying, you're God, you know all things. If there's another way here to get this done, like I want to know it now. Can you I can't imagine if your dad in the room, your son begging for, like just the emotion of, Dad, please, 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 please. There's got to be a, there's got to be another way. Don't like come in. You're a you're a God of last second surprises. Come in and surprise me at the last. Like get like this guy. Is there any other way? And God's heart has to be breaking because there isn't another way. He continues to tell Jesus, No, we we have no other options. Now there was an option. There was an option for God to say, Okay, Jesus, we'll call it all off. The problem with that is He's a God of love. And if he called it off, then we wouldn't be here, right? He loved us too much. There had to be, he's perfect. He's, he, there had to be a perfect sacrifice. 
He's perfect in his mercy. Like he was going to make a way that we could get grace. He was going to make a way where we could come home. But also, he's perfect in his justice. I don't think we have a good understanding today of sin. There had to be payment for our sin. There had, sin separates us from God. The wages of sin is death. There's punishment for sin. So God could not leave our sins unpunished. That would mess up his holiness. Because he's holy, our sins were going to be punished. And they had to be punished through a perfect sacrifice, right? If I die for your sins, that doesn't do you any good. It had to be a holy, unblemished, uh, with no defects, just like the, the Passover lamb. It had to be a perfect, sinless sacrifice. And Jesus is the only one that came to this earth and never sinned. So the plan all along from the beginning, right? From the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and brought sin in, from that point on, there was a plan for redemption, so that you would have hope in this life, so that you could come home to God. And the plan was Jesus. So the father's like, no, we can't change the plan now. The only way, the only way is for you to go to the cross. And Jesus said, not my will, God, but yours. And I want to encourage you with this today. We looked at this scripture a little bit a few uh, weeks ago, Romans 8. Romans 8 is like a beautiful unveiling of the gospel. And he ends it with this. What should we say to these things? That Jesus died for you. What do we say to that? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or electrical power issues, I added that, or persecution, or famine, or pandemic, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. All right, let me stand up since y'all can see that and preach this a little bit. All right, so Jesus, go, go back one verse, please. Wait, what do we say to this? If God's force, who could be? Who, who did not spare his own son? That's the moment in the garden where Jesus is asking God, hey, get me out of this. And God said, no. Why? Because of you. If God did not spare his son, how can he not hear your prayers? How will he not graciously give you all things? Does he give you what you want? No, it's still not my will, but yours. He knows your financial issues. He knows your relationship issues. He knows the issues with your kids. He knows your worry and your anxiety and your depression. He knows the things that seems like they're never going to go away. How can he, he, if he didn't spare his own son, he hears you. He's with you, and Jesus is proof of that. Some of you still aren't sure if there's a God who knows your name and loves you intimately. He does. And he's just saying, look at the cross. Like, how could, like, that's my love. My son came and asked out, and I said, I'm not going to spare my son so that we would have hope and a chance of relationship in real life. The next verse, this is other, it should really encourage you. Um, the next verse, it says that he's interceding for us, right? Um, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding. What does that mean? It means that Jesus goes to God on our behalf. He's like, God, I know they're messed up. I know they're struggling. I know they sin, but I covered that sin. I carried that sin. I took care of that sin. He's praying to God on our behalf. He's interceding for you and your struggles and your worry. And even if maybe you got doubts, you're not even sure God is real or Jesus knows. Like he's interceding. He's like, hey, give him faith. He comes, he shows up on our behalf in all kinds of ways. You know, Jesus' strength is in his submission. He doesn't look very strong on the cross, right? It looks pretty weak. But his strength is in his submission. Same for you. 
in this room, man, woman, young or old, your strength, true strength is in your submission to God. Um, and Jesus showed incredible restraint. If you're in this reading plan, like I mentioned, uh, it's, it's crazy. Some of the disciples want to fight, right? And that, some of us like specific disciples because they're always wanting to fight, right? And Jesus is like, what are y'all doing? Like, put, that, put the swords away. He said, and he said to them, don't you know I got an army of angels? Like, they're ready. They're, Jesus sees the invisible. So he was, he, he's like, I could just say, get them. Like, this would not be an issue. And he shows restraint because his strength is in submission. He could have stopped this at any moment. Why didn't he? Because God loves you. He, did not, he loves you so much he didn't spare his own son, and Jesus didn't call in the angels for you because if he didn't go through with it, then we wouldn't be here. And then it got real ugly if you've read. I don't like to, you know, because I'm asking you to bring guests with you. We don't do a ton of, uh, like, the gory stuff of the crucifixion on Easter because Easter is about resurrection. But I wanted to um, remind you, like, it was brutal. If you've read the reading plan, right, it's, it's mental and physical torture they're putting him through, right, because he claimed to be the son of God. They're blindfolding him. Then they're punching him in the face and saying, hey, who hit you? It's the mockery. They're making fun of him. If you're a king, if you're a son of God, a Messiah, then you'll know who's hitting you. So they're smacking him around and then asking him, hey, who hit you? Then they put a crown of thorns on him. They spit in his face, right? Some of you would say there's, there's, you'd rather be punched than spit on, right? There's nothing more demeaning than being spit on. He's beaten and he's whipped, right? When we say whip, don't think some of you are old enough that you got whipped. That was normal when you came up. It's not, it's not a belt like, like it was in your day. This was not a belt. This was a, a cat of nine tails. They would tie uh, bone fragments to the end of this whip. And, and, and Jesus would, would be on his knees, most likely hugging like a pole. And when they whipped with this, the bone fragments would rip into the skin and every, every lash would pull skin off. So they would basically fillet a human and just layer by layer pull skin off of people's backs. There's uh, historical stuff of just how brutal the beating was. That was before we even got to the cross. Jesus was a human. He's fully human and fully God at the same time. So he had a human body like we do that had limits. So he got tired. He was unable to carry his cross all the way. They had to pull another guy out of the crowd to do it, right? And he was physically just beaten up emotionally at this horrible place. And, and he, he asked out in the garden. He asked out of that plan. He said, Jesus, or he said, God, take this away from me. I don't think he was asking out of the pain. I don't think he was scared of the pain. I think he was asking out of the plan. This is really important. If you, if, you're, if you need to be brought back to like how much God loves you in the core of the gospel and let it move you, some of you haven't been moved by the gospel a long time, you need to understand what Jesus was asking God for. He wasn't asking out. He wasn't scared of the pain. What he was scared of and worried and concerned about to a deep level was the plan. And the plan had everything to do with sin. Um, one of the details we get if you're reading through the accounts, is that Pilate, who was one of the leaders, was surprised at how quickly Jesus died. There's evidence historically of people on the cross for days. The Romans had perfected how to torture somebody and, and cause the most amount of pain, but keep them alive for the longest. So some people were on the cross for days. Jesus was up there for hours. So they went and told Pilate, Joseph of Arimathea asked for the body, and Pilate's response was, what, he's dead already? Why did Jesus die so quick? Was he just weaker than most men? No, he wasn't weaker than most men. He was a carpenter. This was a, this was a strong man. It wasn't because he was weak, because he didn't die like most people die. We know most people die on the cross from suffocation, asphyxiation, asphyxiation. You know what I'm trying to say, right? They, they nail your feet, they pierce your feet, and they pierce your hands. 
and they just wear you out. You're in the sun, and you, you just got to, you have to pull against your flesh. You have to rip the holes bigger every time to get a breath. So over days and many hours, eventually you just can't breathe anymore. You can't even get another breath. You can't even, don't even have the strength, and then you die. That's how most people die. There's been a lot of research on this. If you read Lee Strobel stuff, uh, you should. If you, can, if you haven't, or Evidence that Demands a Verdict, uh, old school John Maxwell. But it, they interviewed a ton of doctors and scientists and all the evidence of the, the, the way they pierced Jesus' side and what came out. It tells us a lot about how he actually died in addition to Scripture. The, the evidence says that he didn't die of suffocation, that he died actually of a heart attack, that his heart most likely just exploded inside of him. We get another hint of this when um, he's in the garden. You remember that? It says that he was sweating blood. Like that's actually a medical proven condition that sometimes when you're so, some of you struggle with anxiety, your anxiety can get to such a crazy level that your blood vessels start to burst in your, in your body. And it's such a deep level of anguish and mental emotional torture that instead of sweating sweat, you sweat blood. That's where Jesus was. Why? Because he was scared of the pain? No, because he's holy God in a human body, and he could not get his head around what it would mean to have sin on him because he was perfect and holy his whole life, right? You know what it does? Like, we have all kinds of evidence, and we'll get into this in a series after Easter, of what anxiety can do to the human body. Like, it can mess you up. Jesus was in a place of such deep anguish that he was sweating blood, and that's why he asked God what he asked them, right? You, you know what guilt and shame can do to a body? You, you've probably been or know somebody that's been physically sick. You ever had a kid who's physically sick? Then you find out later, like they had to tell you something they didn't want to tell you. They failed a test or they did something they shouldn't have done. And the guilt and knowing that you were going to find out, like it will make a kid physically sick, right? That guilt or sometimes shame when you've done something that, that people know you've done and, and people label you, whatever, and some of you still struggle, you still look in the mirror and you think about some of the worst decisions you made. Jesus had all your guilt and all your shame of the worst you've done on him, and he had mine, and he had all of history at one moment. Can you imagine? Like, just my guilt and shame is plenty. He took all of our guilt on, stacked on top of the all of humanity in one moment on the cross. He became that sin. He became the guilt and the punishment for all of that sin. And I think in that moment, his heart literally could not take the sin and what it did to him physically. And that's what ultimately killed him. So I think to some of you that follow Jesus or new Christians or maybe you've been Christians a long time, I think Jesus would say to you, why are you still carrying what I died for? I asked out of that because it was such a horrible moment but I did it because the Father told me to, and that was the plan to save you. And I did it so that you wouldn't walk around in 2023 with that label that I freed you from. I rescued you and I adopted you. You're not your condition. You're not your illness. You're not your worst sin. You're not your worst decision. Jesus went through a ton so you didn't have to carry that. Amen? So let it go. Drop it, right? Why are you carrying what Jesus already handled? And he didn't just handle it with a prayer. He handled it with a brutal death. Look how Jesus' words change on the cross. He's still Jesus. He's saying such gracious things. Like who's, after you got beat and mocked, like who of us would stand up there and say, worry about their mom, right? Mother's Day's coming. Remember that, y'all, in a month. Because Jesus said, 
Hey, take care of her. He made sure his mom was taken care of by John. That's what he said on the cross. He also said to people making fun of him and saying, hey, you saved all these people and now you can't save yourself. If you were who you said you were, then you, would, you could come down from the cross. Prove it. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He had kind and grace to say to the thief beside him. And he said, hey, you'll be with me in paradise today. Like he's so full of grace, even on the cross until the end. Then his words change at the end. Right before he yells out, it is finished, he says one phrase that is really troubling to me. He says, um, Eloi, Eloi, lama sebekthani is the Aramaic version. Translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right, he's so full of grace, and then all of a sudden it, it sounds like he's saying, God, why have you abandoned me? That's really been troubling for me, to me for a long time of like, and one of the last things Jesus said, he feels alone. You ever felt alone? Jesus understands that. He felt abandoned by God in a way in that moment. God, how could you, like Jesus is doing what you want him to do for our sake, right? He who didn't spare his own son, he's, gonna, he's there for you. If he did that for you, and why, why would he not show up for Jesus in that moment? Why would he let Jesus feel alone? Well, here's the point of the game at the beginning. Jesus is quoting the first line of a song. And in Jewish culture, it was known, if you quote the first line of the song, you, it's implied you're giving them the whole song, right? You're not just giving them the first line of Billie Jean, you're giving them the whole song, right? So he's quoting a song from a scripture called Psalm 22. And, and, and in your scripture, it says, at the top of it, it says, to the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. So there must have been some song called a doe of the dawn. Doesn't sound like a great hit. Um, and, it, and they wrote this new song to the tune of an old song, and, and this was 600 years before Jesus. And here's the first line of the song. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's how the song starts. So Jesus, and the last thing he said, the only thing he said after that is, it is finished. He quotes a song to encourage us. It doesn't, it's not very encouraging for God, for Jesus. Like Jesus was alone. Like, where does that leave me? Where that leaves me is I got to read the rest of the song, right? Verse seven of Psalm 22 says, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. This was planned. This was prophetic. 600 years before Jesus, the Holy Spirit gave David these words that would prophesy about what happened on the cross. Verse 14 says, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint, which would happen on the cross. Your shoulders would get out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. Right? I guess it's a prophecy of how Jesus died 600 years in advance. Now, 600 years before Jesus, crucifixion had not been invented yet. The Romans had not invented it. Yet we have this in verse 16. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. There's no way to know that. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots, which they did. They cast lots. All of this was letting us know God had planned this, which was part of the plan of God to come get us through Jesus. So Jesus quotes the first line of a song because he knew we would read the rest of the song. Verse 24, he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. There's the hope finally coming in. You got to get to the end of the song, right? Sometimes people are like, hey, listen to this song. It's awesome. My kids are like, hey, listen to this song. And I'm like, you know, whatever. And they're like, hey, no, no, stay with it. Listen to the whole thing. It gets better. All right. So we got to get to the end. It doesn't get better usually. But um, Jesus gave us this first line of the song. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Get, 
He lets us know the afflicted, if you're afflicted, if you're struggling, if you're suffering, if God doesn't seem to be coming through in your life, he doesn't turn his face from you. He has heard the cries of his people. Verse 27, it's all for a reason. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations, there's a little multi-ethnic clue. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. It's not going to be just a Jewish thing. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. And then Here's the big finale of the song. The last verse of this amazing two verses of Psalm 22 says this. Posterity shall serve him, meaning generations ahead will serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. A people there is like a people group, like a nation, like a race. It was the Jewish people were gods. And now he's saying there's a people that have not even been born yet. We are a people of God. We are the family of God, not based on our race, our gender, our status, or any of those things. What marks us and makes us a people of God is faith in Jesus. That's his new family, the new covenant. And, it, and it, we're going to proclaim a righteousness. We're righteous. How are we righteous? Through Jesus. He traded our sin for his righteousness. He became our sin. We get to become his righteousness. That he who had no sin became our sin that we might become the righteousness of God, that God would view you as righteous if you put your faith in Jesus. That God looks at you today and he doesn't see your shame and your guilt and the worst of you. He sees forgiven and free and clean and clear. That's the gospel that never gets old. And then it ends with those great five words, that he has done it. Right? And then he says, it is finished. So he quotes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It doesn't mean that God left him. It means, hey, I'm quoting a song here that ends with, I've done it, and there's going to be a righteousness given to my people that haven't even been born yet. He was thinking about you on the cross. Is that not crazy? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did leave him because God is holy and Jesus was full of sin, but it was so he could accomplish the ultimate mission, and he has done it. And we celebrate that. And we celebrate that 24-7, 365. Easter Sunday is just another day of, of what we're built on, but it is an extra day of celebration because we celebrate not the death. We'll talk more about the resurrection next week. If he just died and didn't raise from the dead, nothing, nothing happened. It's all about the resurrection. So I want you to, to get in that mind frame. That's what the reading plan is for. That's what today is about, walking through um, all of this with Jesus, that we come into next Sunday just so ready. We're asking you to bring somebody. When I say that, I said that last few weeks, um, you, you're thinking, I'm talking to somebody else. No, I'm, I'm really, I'm talking to you. You know somebody. You have a, a, a roommate, a coworker, a family member, a neighbor, uh, somebody. You know somebody that would come with you. You're like, no, they don't want to come to church. That's great. And we'll have that fixed next week when you bring them. All right, they'll, uh, they'll, people will come to church at Easter that won't come any other time of the year. It's a cultural thing. We've got to use that to our advantage. Allow God to put somebody on your heart. You're not in charge if they say yes or no. You're just in charge to make the invite and do it right. Say, hey, I'll pick you up so they don't have to come by themselves. It could be some of you have been coming here a long time. It's intimidating to come to church on Easter if you know you haven't been to church in a while. We want to try to take that away. Meet them. In, if you don't pick them up, at least meet them in the parking lot or the lobby so they don't have to walk in here by themselves. Uh, we're going to share the gospel. and We're going to believe that, that God is going to do what God does. You know, We've been talking about becoming a praying church uh, since the beginning of the year, and it is producing fruit right? There's prayers that are getting answered. Uh, your chair has been prayed over again today. Our like it, is, it, is, it is a beautiful momentum that God is doing, right? What we saw last week, I don't know if you were here, but we shared a message on baptism and invited people to commit to Jesus. You know, that's a miracle when people that can't see a videotape of Jesus dying on a cross or raising from the dead and people trusted and are willing to go public and commit themselves in baptism. We had eight people respond to baptism last week. 
What? That's eight people that are going to be, in, you know, baptized into Jesus during Easter Sunday services. Six are going to get baptized uh, at the 9 a.m. Right now, two at the 11. I don't know. You guys got to step your game up. 9 a.m. is is tripling you right now. But that invitation hasn't ended. If you want to talk about baptism all you, or if you want to be baptized, just go on our website and fill out the baptism under the connect form. Or if you have questions, you can talk to me or Joy, any of our staff um, about that. We would, it's not over. So God's still moving. He's going to move this week. We're also going to offer spontaneous next week as in the middle of the service on Easter Sunday. Hey, if you want to be baptized today, we got clothes. We're going to do all that stuff. Who knows what God's going to do? Right? Because we're a praying church and God is responding to that. He's moving. What he did last week, some people, like I told you in the 11 o'clock, some people I've been praying for for years gave their life to Jesus and made a commitment to Jesus. It's, it's powerful, beautiful stuff. So we want, we want you to invite. We want you to not to be one of the stats that Raph referenced a few weeks ago that like most people that get invited to church are invited by people that have been Christian less than a year. The stats say the longer you're a Christian, the less you share your faith, right? We want to be the opposite of that. So Get out there this week. Make an invitation. Also, help us on social media. We live in a day where if you share our Easter post uh, on Facebook or Instagram, like thousands of people will see that with all your friend groups and all, of the, you know, all that. So comment, share. If you comment, say something nice. Um, but uh, that's not the same as inviting somebody to church. Don't be like, well, I shared. I didn't. Like, we want you to personally with text or voice invite somebody with you. But help us out on social media. Let the greater Raleigh area know that there is a multi-ethnic church that believes in the gospel and there's hope and it's available and we're going to celebrate it next week. We're going to celebrate it. So I want you to keep believing that God can do anything with anybody at any time. That's the stories of a lot of us in this room, that God can do anything with anybody at any time. That's still true. And it needs to be true with the people in our lives that don't know Jesus. Um, I want you to come in here expecting next week, right? Jesus walked out of the grave like, I think, I think we say it so much that sometimes it's like, if, if you ever been to a funeral where that casket popped open, like, how would you respond, right? With some extreme response. Like, I've never seen that at a funeral. I've been to a lot of funerals, but I've never, Jesus defeated death. And that matters for us and our future and our lives and our eternities. It's the biggest victory of all. There's a women's basketball championship played in a few hours, men's tomorrow night. Whoever wins, they'll do a parade. They'll spend a ton of money. They'll go crazy and party because somebody won a basketball title. How does that compare to death getting defeated, right, by Jesus? We're going to celebrate that next week. I want you to come in here with a mind of celebration, expecting to worship and sing and expecting to see God move among us. I'm going to ask you to stand up. We're going to pray towards that and call it a day. Thank you, uh, all the people that helped us have, and thank you for staying with us, even though lights are flickering and all that stuff. Come expecting for things to work next week also. We're going to count on that. But if they don't, the power of Jesus will be here. Father, we just thank you for not sparing your own son. I cannot imagine that you, God, some of us doubt. It's easy to doubt when we're going through stuff. Some of us like, are you there, God? Um, man, just remind us, God, in those moments that you didn't spare your own son, how, how can you not hear our prayers? That even when he felt alone, why have you forsaken me? He was leading us to a song that ends with that it's been done, it's been finished. You've handled all of our stuff, all of our sin, and we're victorious through you, Jesus. I pray you build uh, momentum even in our hearts and our church this week. Give us boldness and courage to, to invite people in that need your hope. Then we just pray your gospel would be on display 
next Sunday. We pray all this as we go in Jesus' name. Amen. See you all next week, Easter Sunday.